Hi, and welcome to the G2 Podcast. Yeah, so as Hannah said, I am Ellie. I am an intern here at GT. I've been here for just under two years. And I moved here from a little village in Oxfordshire where my dad was the vicar, uh, which meant two things. It meant that everyone knew where to find my dad if I was in trouble, so I had to be on best behavior all the time. And it meant that Christmas was the most ridiculously stressful time. Dad had five churches, uh, which meant five carol services, five nativity services, five Christringle services. Before we had opened any presents on Christmas Day, Dad had done three services that morning. And there were small village churches, uh, which meant there weren't that many people to help out. So at Christmas, my brother and I would do all the things. We would sing in the choirs. We would cut up the ribbon for the Christingle. We would make mince pies. We'd make mulled wine. We'd do everything. And one Christmas, Dad asked me if I want to do the reading. And I was a drama queen when I was six years old, which is when he asked me to. And I said, absolutely. I definitely wanted to be the center of attention. I loved people looking at me. I thought, this is my moment. I've got this. A few days before, I had had an absolute tantrum because I've been cast as a shepherd in the nativity. And the shepherds only appeared for two scenes. And I thought, this is a waste of my talent. I deserve to be Mary. I deserve to be an angel. I deserve to be the star. But I was a shepherd. And the shepherds had to put tea towels on their heads. And they were only there for two scenes, and I didn't even get to sing a song. And I was so angry. And <laughs> I decided, nevertheless, that I was going to be the best shepherd that there had ever been in any nativity ever. And that's just to show you how much of a drama queen I am, uh, and how much of the attention I loved. And when I said I was going to share this story, my grandmother sent me a photo of me as a shepherd in the nativity when I was six years old. And uh, I think this is the shepherd, Shepherd Ellie, standing there before you. <laughs> this is on her uh, dressing table at home. So she sees Shepherd Ellie every day. But I didn't want to be a shepherd. But I did want to stand up and read in front of everyone. That was my redeeming moment. I had 14 verses to get through. Everyone was going to be looking at me. And as the day got closer, I was more and more excited. And then I was sitting there on Sunday morning. I was sitting in the pew. And Dad, in his booming voice, announces the reading. St. John unfolds the mystery of the gospel. And I had no idea what that meant. But I knew that that was my cue. So I got up. I got to the front. I looked out at everyone. And I started to read. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And then I stopped. And I stopped because I'd seen something that I didn't understand. I'd seen something that I didn't know how to react to. And there was this awkward silence. And I was just standing here. And dad was standing over there. And I could see his eyes wide. And he was panicking. And I was panicking too because I didn't know what to do. And everyone else was panicking because they didn't know what was going on. And I thought maybe being a shepherd in two scenes wasn't going to be so bad after all. And I need to do something. So I run across to dad. And I whisper in his ear. And he smiles. 
and he shakes his head. And then I run back, and I carry on. He was with God in the beginning. Without him, through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And I'd got through my verses, and it was all fine. And somehow this story keeps coming up every Christmas. It's always my brother. And he says, do you remember that time that Ellie was reading in church and she just stopped because she didn't know whether to read out the little number two after the first verse? She didn't know whether to read and she had to run across and check. And everyone thought it was adorable, but I thought it was hilarious. That's what my brother says every year. (laughs) And I say this because... Things happen in life all the time that we don't know how to react to, that we don't know how to respond to. Have you ever started a new job and on the very first day, when no one's explained to you how anything works, no one's said what the answers are, and someone asks you a question and you have no idea what to do? What do you do? You probably say, I'm really sorry, I don't know. Uh, I'm just going to go check, and I'll be right back. And you go, and you find out the right answer, and you come back, and everything's fine. Or maybe your child's come back from school with a homework question that you've never seen before. Let me check. Uh, I'll find out for you. I'll come back. Or maybe your flatmate has asked you a question about your faith, and you don't know the answer. Let me just go check. Sometimes we feel bad for not knowing. We feel like we should have the answers, we should know. Sometimes we pretend we know. We say, yes, it's this. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes we're right, but sometimes we're wrong. And life is full of these moments. We're always faced with questions that we don't know how to answer. Like whether or not to read out the verse numbers. Or sometimes we come up against things that we've never seen. Like, for instance, a star in the sky that we've never seen before. Or something truly randomly bizarre happening out in a field on a day that seemed like it was going to be completely normal. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clods and lying in a manger. Maybe it's not just us who have to deal with things that we've never seen before. This is a pretty, pretty classic Christmas passage, but let's break this down a bit. Let's see what's going on. So we've got our shepherds. Let's say they're over here. They're in the fields. They're minding their business. They're probably cold. They're probably dirty, and they're definitely tired. In those times, shepherding was a very important profession, but it wasn't very well regarded. Shepherds were the lowest of the low. They were social outcasts. They couldn't even enter the temple, and they weren't reliable witnesses in court. To the rest of the world, they were less important than the sheep that they looked after. And I mean this, these were really, really important sheep. The sheep in the fields of Bethlehem were the sheep that belonged to the temple in Jerusalem. So this meant that they were the sheep that were used 
in the sacrifices to God, the sheep that were used so that the Jews might be forgiven. They were pretty important sheep. Very important that uh, nothing happens to them. So we've got our shepherds in the field, doing the same job that they've done for years and years and years, just sheep and fields, sheep and fields, and suddenly, boom, it's sheep and fields and angels. What's that about? And their first reaction is obviously fear. Like ours is when we get asked that question, we don't know, we feel that panic rising. This is something brand new for them. So what else are they meant to do but be afraid? And then if angels aren't enough, it starts speaking. And the words the angels said aren't new. But since the shepherds weren't allowed in the temple, they probably wouldn't have known that these words are so old that they echo across the whole of the Old Testament. They wouldn't have heard the scriptures being read out each week. So to them, the words of the angel were probably a distant childhood memory, a story, a myth. They probably didn't know that 600 years before the angel appeared to them in that field, that a prophet called Jeremiah wrote about a savior from the line of David and said, the days are coming when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous savior. And if they didn't know that, then they probably didn't know that 100 years before that, the prophet Micah wrote about the place this would happen, saying, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over all Israel. And if they didn't know that, then maybe they didn't know what another prophet, Isaiah, said before even those about a baby being born. Unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So when the angel appeared before them and said, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. They probably didn't know everything that that meant. They would never have encountered anything like that before. So what do they do? What do they have to do when faced with something they don't understand? They have to go and check. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. The shepherds have to go and check for themselves. They're not content just to hear about this amazing thing. They want to go and see it for themselves. And when they go and look, what do they find? They hurry off to the manger over here, and they find Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And once they get here, they see that it's exactly as they have been told. The sign is there. And the same invitation is on offer for us as well, to go and check for yourself. And this isn't just for the shepherds all those years ago. This isn't just for the wise men who saw a star and thought they'd check it out. This isn't just for certain people at certain places at certain times. This isn't just a Christmas invitation. About 30 years after the shepherds made their journey to the stable, a group of men are gathered. They're alone and they're afraid, and it's the worst day of their lives. 
Three days ago, their leader, their teacher, their friend, was crucified and buried. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go or who to talk to. And then something ridiculous happens. Something unexpected, something impossible. A woman runs in. She says that the tomb where they buried him is empty. And what do the disciples have to do? They have to go and check. They have to go and check because they don't know. So they run. They run to the place and they see that it's just like the woman had said. The stone has been rolled away and the grave is empty. They see where Jesus was and now isn't. But Jesus does one better than just an empty tomb. Over the next few days, each of the men, the disciples, meet him face to face. He comes alongside them and he eats with them, he drinks with them, he walks with them. Because an empty tomb isn't enough. The words of the angels aren't enough. We're invited to see Jesus for ourselves. At the end of John's Gospel, we read about the story of Thomas. And history hasn't really been kind to him. He's called Doubting Thomas, uh, Thomas the Doubter, because he doesn't take the words of the disciples at face value. When they say, we have seen the Lord, what does he want to do? He wants to check. He wants to check because that's something he can't explain. That's something impossible. And he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. He just wanted to check for himself. The name Thomas in Aramaic, uh, in Greek, it's Didymus, and it means twin. And I think in a lot of ways, Thomas is our twin too, because we want to check as well. And here's the thing, instead of turning him away, instead of saying, you should have believed better, you should have had more faith, why didn't you just believe? Jesus invites him personally to come and see for himself. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Like Thomas, like the shepherds, Jesus invites us to come and experience him personally, to come close and to see what he's like. We don't have to rely on the words of anyone else. We can experience him for ourselves. And maybe that's what we need this Christmas. We need to experience him for ourselves. We need to come and see. That's not the end of the story. Let's get back to the shepherds. They've gone from the fields to the stable, and they found baby Jesus all wrapped up exactly like they said. They went to go check, and having checked, what did they do? We read, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. So having checked that what they heard was true, they went to go and tell people. They became like the angels, telling everyone what God had done. I imagine some of the people that they told might have been a bit confused. Uh, you've just arrived. Imagine this. You've just arrived in Bethlehem after a long journey. Unlike some people, you've, uh, you've actually booked a place to stay. So you know you've got a, a bed for the night. And you're looking forward to lying down and suddenly a shepherd runs in. And he says, um, did you know uh, that God's saviour has just been born? Uh, it's right here. It's down the road, third, third stable on the left. You'd probably be confused. 
you'd definitely be a bit skeptical. And why should you believe the shepherd, right? They're not even able to testify in court. Why should we believe them? But the shepherds aren't asking anyone to believe what they're saying. They're inviting people to go and see for themselves and then to believe in what they've seen. In my head, I've always pictured a line of people going from the shepherds to the stable to go and peek for themselves because why wouldn't you see? If you've had an odd encounter with a slightly overexcited shepherd, of course you're going to go and see what they're on about. Why wouldn't you? Because it might be rubbish, but maybe it's the most important thing you've ever heard. And after the shepherds had told everyone, where did they go? We read, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as theirs been told. So the shepherds returned. But where? Where did they return? Was it to the fields over here where they started, where their sheep were, where their livelihoods were? Or was it to the stable? We just read that they returned. Luke doesn't tell us where to. And presumably they'd have gone back to this, the, the fields, surely. That's where their livelihood is, their home. But maybe they went back to the stable, or maybe they went back home via the stable, or maybe they went home, but a few days later they crept back just to check, just to check they hadn't been dreaming the first time. For some of them, maybe seeing Jesus once was enough. Maybe they could go back to where they started and know for certain that from that point onwards, everything had changed. But maybe for some of them, the excitement wore off a bit. Maybe they thought, I'm not sure if that was real. Maybe they thought, I need to go and see again. And maybe we're like this too. So where are we? Perhaps you've been to the stable and you found the answer you were looking for. And now you're ready to go out. Uh, you're ready to go out and share what you found. So go. Go with the eagerness and the excitement of the shepherds. Carry with you the confidence that you have found the truth and seen it with your own eyes. Show other people where to go. It's now our job to point the way. Maybe you've seen Jesus before, but you're longing to see him again. Maybe you've spent so long out in the fields telling other people that you've lost sight of what that means for you. Come back. He hasn't gone anywhere. He wants you to encounter him all over again. Come back to the stable and check again. Or maybe you've never seen him yourself before. Maybe you've heard people talking about it, but you've never quite got round to checking it out for yourself, or you're fine with just the words. But maybe you've never heard the words at all. Maybe you've never had an angel appearing before you to say, the king is born. Maybe you've never had a shepherd standing in front of you, telling you they've seen it for themselves. Maybe nobody's told you the way to go, the way to check it for yourself. Maybe no one's told you about this before. If this is you, can I tell you something? In the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He is all the things that have been written about him. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty king, the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. 
He's the Lamb of God on the throne of heaven. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the Word at the beginning. The Word who is with God and who is God. In him is life. And that life is the light of all mankind. He is the light that shines in the darkness. He is the light that the darkness cannot overcome. He is everything that has been written about him. But don't take my word for it. Come and check. Jesus himself says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Ask, seek, knock. There might not be a stable in Bethlehem anymore, but there is still a Jesus. Ask him. Ask him to show you who he is. Seek him. Right at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. When we ask, when we seek, all we have to do is open the door and see him for ourselves. So come, come check, come see his face and know for yourself. We're going to spend a bit of time responding uh, and seeking Jesus in prayer. I'm going to invite the worship band back up. There'll be a couple of people uh, around the sides of the room praying. I'd encourage everyone to think about where you are. What version of the shepherds are you? Do you need to go to the stable for the first time? Do you need to go back to the stable Or are you in the stable already and you're ready to go out and to tell people, to show people where they need to go themselves? Either you want to pray for the boldness to go out or we want to pray for an encounter with you right here, right now. Whether it's for the first time or the hundredth time. So as the band play, let's think about where we are and let's pray. Jesus Christ, Lord of all, we ask to see you for ourselves this Christmas, to encounter you, to know for ourselves that you are everything that they say you are. Knock on the doors of our hearts. We want to see you as the shepherds did. We want to come to you. Fill us with the curiosity and their excitement to discover you and to share who you are. Jesus, we want to come close. We want to see you. Come, Lord Jesus, come.